You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn to Proverbs chapter 26, 13 of the verses in this chapter are going to come in the form of comparisons, like or as comparisons, many of them focusing on various kinds of folly. And as we consider that, we must remember that as believers, the world system in which most of us are walking in is a system that is blinded to the truth of God. Ephesians 2, verse 2 through 3 says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, caring about the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so really, in a sense, as we look at the contrasts between the life of wisdom and the life of folly, as we've been doing throughout the entire study of the book of Proverbs, as we consider it especially in this chapter, we must remember in our New Testament context the full theology behind the fool. It isn't just that they have made a decision to live a life of folly and have become unwilling to enter into a life of wisdom. It's that there is this world system that has carried along the unbelieving world that we only truly escape, not just through the wisdom of God's word, but the gospel that we learn within God's word. But if we're believers, now we've been able to, because of the love of God, come out of that world system and have now been placed in his family. And so these Proverbs help us navigate the world system that we're still in, that is all around us, but that because of the love of God and the blood of Jesus, we are set free from. Now, let's look at our first proverb in verse 1 of this chapter. Like snow in summer or rain and harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. The idea of this proverb is very simple. You know, for an ancient Israelite culture, the idea of snow coming during the summer or rain arriving during the harvest was an odd consideration. Uh, those two things just didn't fit together. Snow did not go with summer and rain did not go together with harvest. And that's the way it is with honor and a fool. He says, so honor is not fitting for a fool. In other words, they do not in their estimation or should we say in God's estimation, it is a proverb from the Lord after all, they do not go together. The unfortunate reality is that often in an upside down world, uh, whose values are shaped and molded because of sin and brokenness, oftentimes honor is attached to those who are fools. Uh, you might see an example of this with maybe a crude actor or musician of base and low morals serving as the voice or consciousness 
of a people. And uh, it's just an odd thing. Honor should not be attached to that person per se. I mean, of course, they're lovely, uh, they're worth love, and they're worth uh, being valued, but their behavior is, is not garnering honor so often. But in an upside down culture, honor will be given to them. Now, in verse 2, it says, like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. Now, this might be a correction of a superstition about curses. In other words, the statement would be, don't worry, a causeless curse is meaningless. Now, obviously, when God pronounces a curse, as he does in Genesis chapter 3, it does land. You know, when God said, the day that you eat of it, you will truly, you will surely die. The day that they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, death eternally, spiritually, and physically entered into humanity. But here, there might be a, uh, an idea that if it is an, a causeless curse, then it will not alight. It will not land. It is meaningless. That might be what they were thinking with this verse. Or it simply could be a statement that a, fuel, a, a fool's abusive words will achieve nothing. In either instance, the gospel provides our way of escape from the curses of man or the accusations of man and from the long-term ramifications and impact of sin. It is the gospel that reverses all of the curses that exist in the world. Verse 3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Uh, in other words, like the horse and donkey, fools need a rod. I mean, think about it. The horse driven along, the donkey driven along with some kind of stimulation. The fool needs the same thing. In other words, they are not motivated by things like reason or honor or love. They are motivated by what is best for them. And sometimes that takes the form of harsh circumstances. And so they will be moved by those harsh circumstances rather than by the better motivations of things like I just mentioned, reason and honor and love. Ultimately, the place that the God-hearted person wants to come to is a place like Psalm 32, verse 8 and 9, where God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or will not stay near you. In other words, we do not want to be driven by harsh circumstances or by harsh consequences or even the fear of consequences. What we want to be driven by is by the love of God, a, fear, a reverence of God, a, a respect for God, a fear of God in that respect of God and honor of God kind of uh, way. So that is the desire of the believer, not that we would be driven by ha harsh consequences, but by our love for God. Verse 4, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Okay, so in verse 4, the proverb says, answer not a fool. And then in verse 5, it says, answer a fool. In the first 
exhortation. It's, hey, answer or respond to a fool and uh, because lest you be like him yourself. You know, you've got, you've got to, you've got to, you know, correct the incorrect thing that he has thought. But on the other hand, you know, if you don't answer him, then good, you've stayed out of a tussle, but he might think that he's wise. So you need to answer him on the other hand, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So to answer or respond to a fool makes you like him. But on the other hand, you must answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So in other words, with the fool, you are put into a catch-22, for you just can't win the argument. You try not to say anything, and it doesn't work. You try to say something, and it doesn't work. In other words, I think the big exhortation here is just try not to be drawn to the fool's level. Choose discerning times to correct their thinking. Uh, Jesus actually re reiterated this kind of idea that there's just moments where you just don't want to engage. He said in Matthew 7, verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. There are moments where through discernment, through the wisdom of the Spirit, we would just simply recognize this is not a battle that I should engage in or that I can win. Now in verse 6, they go on to say, Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Now in those days, messages had to be carried by a messenger. Uh, they didn't live in the age of technological advancements like we're living in. And so it was like having another set of feet if you had a messenger. But when you had a fool for a messenger, they said, it's like cutting off your own feet. This likely has much to say regarding the cavalier way in which humanity often sends messages to one another. You know, as the speed and rate of communication has increased exponentially over the last couple of decades, we should take great care to make sure that we are not playing the fool, to, to make sure that we're not using our messengers, whether it's in the form of our technology or other people. We should take great care to make sure that we are not using our messengers in a foolish way. Verse 7 like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. In other words, a word of wisdom or a proverb is useless, this is the word that's used there, to the fool specifically in his mouth. In other words, he might be able to speak the proverb, but it does him no good. It's there, you know, in his mouth like a lame man's legs are there, but it cannot help him. The, the proverb is not helping him. It might be in his mouth. He might be able to say it, but it is not helping him. Uh, this is not a hard one for us to, to imagine because we ourselves have so often known how to advise another, but have not actually followed through on the counsel that we so often want to give. Oh, how we need the Lord to help us to actually live up to the wisdom that we already know. You know, so often we're focusing on learning and learning and learning, but the reality is if we could just simply apply and live out that which we already know, we need help in this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he told us 
How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So often we're able to give proverbs to others. They're in our mouth, but we're not applying them ourselves. Uh, We need God's grace to be able to pull the speck out of our, or the log, I should say, out of our own eye first. Verse 8, like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. This is another proverb warning against giving honor uh, to a fool. And the idea here is that uh, of the binding of the stone in the sling, the idea is that tying a stone into a sling so that it somehow cannot be ejected. Uh, That would be, at the very least, self-defeating and pointless and, at worst, dangerous. You know, you got this sling whipping around and the stone never ejects, is never shot. That's what it's like to give honor to a fool. It's a self-defeating experience and pointless and, and, and often dangerous. Verse 9, like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. You know, the the reality is that the word of God is meant to produce a response in people. Uh, But fools, we learn here, do not react to the word of God. Uh, Proverbs to them are like thorns that go up into the hand of a drunkard. In other words, the drunkard has lost their ability to react to the pain of that thorn that goes up into their hands. You see, we need the Spirit of God to awaken our hearts. We must be born again. When when we are awake in the spiritual dimension and awake to the things of the Spirit, then uh, we are awake to the Word of God. And, And it can elicit a response. It can produce a response within us. But but when we're asleep and when we're dead spiritually, the Word of God is like that thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard. It's of no effect. Verse 10, like an archer who wounds everyone who is one who hires a passing fool or a drunkard. In other words, great harm comes by hiring a fool or a drunkard. Uh, The idea here is that, uh, I mean, this would be hilarious if it weren't so common, you know, just a bringing someone with a substance abuse problem or just great folly into your world is dangerous. Verse 11, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Now, this to me, Proverbs uh, 26, verse 11, is human nature on full display. You know, because we just are, like a dog returning to his vomit, are attracted to that which is unhealthy for us. You know, there's just so many things that we know that we should not engage in that we do. And again, it just speaks to us of our need for the Lord working in our lives, writing his law upon our hearts in that new covenant fashion. The spirit of God changing us from the inside out is our great need. Do you see a man, verse 12, who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now this man here in verse 12 does not have a teachable spirit for he thinks he knows everything already. He's wise in his own eyes. The idea is that there is more hope for a fool than for him. This is like another level of folly. But when you have humility, 
and you're not wise in your own eyes, you're able to learn and then wisdom is able to flow. You see, it says in James 4 verse 6 that God gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, those who are teachable, those who come low, those who are humble, they are the ones who so often advance in life because they are ready and willing to learn. They know that they have need. Now, in verse 13, we have one of the classic sluggard passages. It says, the sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Here we have the lazy man or the sluggard. And it's comical, you know, what he does. I mean, first of all, there is a lion in the road, a lion in the streets. This is the outlandish creative excuse of the sluggard you know there's a lion out there i know there's a lion i mean the idea is that this is humorous that he would even go there that he would even say this you almost want him to apply some of his creativity to his work but instead he just has these outlandish wild creative excuses and then notice he's turning on his bed like a door turns on its hinges in other words he sleeps too much and he buries his hand in the dish this speaks of a struggle to even complete the the basic task of eating a meal and he is verse 16 wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly he thinks himself to be an intelligent person so put all of that together. What is the lazy man? What is the sluggard? Well, he makes outlandish excuses. He sleeps way too much. He struggles to complete even basic tasks. And he thinks himself more intelligent than he truly is. So all of that, we would want to say, let us be the opposite. Let us be people who make no excuses, but press on. Let us be people who get the appropriate amount of sleep, but no more because we want to be hardworking. Let us be people who are able to complete not only the small tasks, but the larger mission of life. And let us be people who understand that there are plenty of wiser people than us out there in the world that we need to pursue so that we might also grow in wisdom. Now, verse 17 the proverb says, whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Now, the idea is that this is a dangerous act. It is dangerous to, especially in a society like that, grab a dog by the ears. I mean, dogs in those cultures uh, would be wild for the most part and usually diseased. And so you would never want to grab one by the ears, uh, lest you become sick or bitten uh, yourself. And so the idea here is when you get involved in a quarrel that does not belong to you, it's not your business, you are entering into something that is dangerous. And so it's an exhortation to mind, really, in a sense, our own business. This concept is reiterated to a degree in the New Testament there were some in the Thessalonian church, apparently, that were having work ethic issues. 
Paul urged them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to verse 11, aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and work with your own hands. Now in verse 18, it says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. Here we have more than practical joking. I know that some people love to think of this proverb as simply that. You know, never do a practical joke on your friends. I don't know that the Bible has much to say about that. These seem to be the veiled insults of a mad person, a madman, a fool, a a sinner, after which he says, I'm only joking. The idea here is that No, actually, you weren't joking. The truth came out in your words. So often people like to try to do this kind of thing. They'll offer some venomous insult and then later say, I didn't mean it. I really was just joking or or just a moment of passion made my comment. But in actuality, the truth came out in their words. Verse 20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife the words of of a whisperer are like delicious morsels they go down to the inner parts of the body you see the reality here is that you and i can be the end of gossip and slander you know when it comes into our lives We have a decision. Will I be someone who passes on this information? Will I take, so to speak, to borrow the terminology from the proverb, the wood out from the fire? Or will I add fuel to the fire with my whispers? And the confession, of course, is that it is tempting to do so because the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. It is good for us to understand that there is just something about human nature that likes to know the dirt on other people. And if we don't understand that, then we won't understand what's happening in those moments where gossip and slander begins to flow. We have to have a spirit that understands the James 3 principle that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The idea that we can do great harm with our words and especially our slander. Uh, So we want to take the wood away from the fire and not give it fuel uh, uh, for slander or for gossip to be able to spread. Verse 23, like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Now, the glaze on a basic earthen vessel will make that earthen vessel look more elaborate and ornate than it really is. You know, you just take a basic clay pot and you put a glaze on it. It just gives it a pop, a shine, a glimmer. It makes it look more beautiful and valuable than it really is. And this is what the proverb says happens when fervent speech is attached to an evil heart. You know, words that are fiery and smooth and attractive can cover that evil heart and operate merely as a disguise for an uglier reality. This is not hard for us to imagine. 
for many nations even, large movements of people here on earth have been influenced by attractive, fervent, fiery, smooth speakers who also are operating with evil intentions and, and an evil heart. And so we must be cautious uh, that, and, and make sure that we are not attracted to the glaze, but the content, the, the real heart that someone is operating in purity and teaching the truth. Verse 24, whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. This seems to be an expansion of the previous verse, verse 23, about the glaze covering the earthen vessel, our fervent lips with an evil heart. Uh, here you have the conviction that hatred will be exposed in the assembly. Yeah, this terminology must remind us of the judgment seat of Christ. You know that a day is coming where every knee will bow and tongue will confess him as Lord and that he will be the judge of all humanity. But in their day, the nation of Israel, this was simply a general truth. And all throughout scripture, the plots of hateful, conniving men are eventually exposed. Now, obviously, there are times where they're kept secret, but through Scripture, you see whether it's Cain uh, with his brother Abel or Saul with his son-in-law David, Absalom with his father David or Judas with Jesus. Ultimately, the plots of hateful, conniving men are exposed, exposed in and to the assembly. Now, in verse 27 the proverb says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Now, both of these things, the pit and the stone, become dangerous for whoever initiates them, which speaks of the boomerang nature of sin. I mean, think about the cross of Christ. At the cross of Jesus Christ, you have the ultimate boomerang nature of sin. Satan there decided that he wanted to kill the Son of God. But the very thing that he committed came back upon him and led to his own demise, his own defeat. In thinking he was defeating Jesus, he was actually being defeated through the cross of Jesus. And this is a constant theme throughout scripture. A great example of this would be found in the book of Esther when Haman, who wanted to kill all of the Jews, built gallows for one specific Jew, Mordecai, but eventually his plot was disrupted and King Ahasuerus commanded that Haman be hung on the very gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. So the boomerang nature of sin, that's the idea here of verse 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. You engage in sin, it's going to come back upon you. It's inescapable. Now, verse 28, our final proverb of this chapter, a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruins. I think one of the best ways to describe this proverb is to merely think about Jesus. You know, there were times where they tried to flatter him, 
there were times that they tried to lie to him to try to entrap him in his words. But in his wisdom, uh, as he was led by the Spirit, he never became a victim of that lying tongue. He never was ruined by the flattering mouth. We, we need the Spirit of Christ to help us to be able to stand against those who would love to bring us down with a flattering word or with a lying tongue. And we must instead be like Christ who got his approval from his Father in heaven when God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Let us stand in the voice of the Lord rather than in the approval of the flatterer or the lying tongue. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.